has arrived. Join Apostle Alfred and Reverend Peter and Williams in this year of God's glory as we celebrate the Christ Paved Tabernacle 25th year jubilee from the 23rd of February to the 1st of March. Our name shall be great. Nation will come out of us. The Lord has blessed us and nobody can revoke it. Be empowered alongside ministers from across the globe to walk in the miraculous, see healings, miracles, signs and wonders in your ministry. Come and celebrate 25 incredible years that have seen Christ Paved Tabernacle spread across the globe, meeting dignitaries and changing nations. You are healed right now in the name of Jesus by the blood of the risen Lord. Let them see Jesus shine through your life like never before. And you are bulletproof as long as you are walking under the covering of the Almighty. You got to know that God has set you apart special. God is very, very mild in every little thing. The Christ Faith Tabernacle Silver Jubilee. Leadership training daily. Power Miracle Nights every evening from 7 p.m. And the official dedication of the incredible CFT Cathedral Woolwich on Sunday, March the 1st at 4 p.m. The venue, CFT Cathedral, 186 Power Street, Woolwich, London, SE 18, 6NL. Visit cftchurches.org or call 020-8316-2332. So that they can rule, the, not today, they will rule the nation tomorrow. I'll give them a 10-year plan. By 10 years, I've finished in year. I've brought up leaders from these young ones. Who will? In London, I have achieved it. In this city. I have achieved it. I raised some people for the past 24 years. And I told them why they were growing up. They were going to become members of parliament. One of them now was just called at the age of 23 or 22 by the House of Parliament. They, they told him they want, to, they want him to be a member of the House. Really two years ago, so they called him and told him that we want you to go to Oxford so that you have the what the all crazy people have. And he went to Oxford. He went to Oxford. He came out of Oxford. Now they had a meeting with him, a closed-door meeting in the parliament that they want to appoint him. It's in the magazine. And the Lord had told me he would be the president of Ghana. So currently, there's another person who passed through this house. The Lord told me that he was going back. He was, he was having a need whether he should go back to Ghana or not. God said he should go to Ghana, that he would be a ruler in Ghana. That man now has been appointed by the president of Ghana over all the ministers. He will be here this weekend. What uh, 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 Doc was speaking about, that if someone can be, he said, show me a man that is diligent in his ways. He will sit with kings. And your, your message yesterday provoked me to a serious anger. That in London I've achieved it. I raised boys and girls who came from poor family they are working in banks, top banks. They are working in oil companies and, you know, in politics. They are young ones, but they are, they are, they are different from all the contemporaries. Of course, they are, they are older ones too. You know, we have been able to better their career. You know, today, people who felt they would never amount to anything, got them back to school. Today, they are big guys. I decided I'm going to do that in Nigeria. Because Nigeria will come to sanity when a righteous man raised righteous offspring. Not forget about your politics. With the righteous man behind the righteous offspring, we will speak and things will change. People will vote whoever we speak. We don't need cult or anything. We will form our own party. Either it's popular or not popular. When we speak to the atmosphere, the angels will cause people to vote for the people that we have appointed. But the people must pass the test of Daniel. Come on now. With a great applause, let's welcome... Doc Andrew Lockhart.
Open up the whole of your offspring. For God will fill your barrels this morning. Come on, let's give Jesus a good hand praise. Amen. Let's appreciate the Lord for the servant of the Lord, Apostle Alfred Williams. Amen. How blessed our life are, how enriched we are because of the servant of the Lord and his life before us. We are grateful to God. While we're standing, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence, your goodness, and your faithfulness that surround us. We thank you for this special week that has been set apart that is marking London, England, and the nations of the earth. We thank you for the leadership that you have gathered from all corners, Lord, to be a part of what you're doing here through the service of the Lord and this work and vision that is impacting the nations. Thank you today, Father, that you send your word. It heals us and delivers us. It instructs us and directs us. It empowers us to be what we could not be in our own ability. But it is the factor of God who is at work in us. And we receive light and understanding, illumination and insight in the name of Jesus. And we shall say amen. Put your hands together. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. If you would, please, let's go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, as we look at the life of this prophet who exceptional qualities. It is help shaping our leadership in this contemporary time. And in Daniel, chapter 6, and we will begin at verse 3. As we look at his exceptional leadership qualities in the life of a prophet. Amen. Hallelujah. We will begin again at verse 3 of that particular book. Well, I tell you, we can just read on into 3, verses 1 into 3. It said, I'm reading from the NIV, mind you. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satrap to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One whom was Daniel, the satrap was made accountable to them to that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Everybody say exceptional qualities. Amen. It said that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he was being promoted without a promotion agenda on the top of his head. Without that being the motivating factor in his heart, he was just doing what he do. But the Bible says, according to the scripture, he was preferred over the other leaders because he had a more excellent spirit. 
or he had an excellent spirit upon him. When we look at distinction or distinct, it means to stand above others, to stand above others, <clears throat> pardon me, in character or attainment or reputation. So Daniel, character is what stood out above others. And the key was by his exceptional qualities, by his exceptional qualities. I have focused in, I think, on about at least five qualities that we certainly need to focus on. But I, I, I know I won't be able to address all five, but we're going to highlight the emphasis that I know that the Spirit of the Lord have put in my heart today for the leadership. And that is, number one, he, he had the spirit of excellence. Spirit of excellence. Now, we're going we're gonna to have a whole nother value for excellence as I talk about it more. Because excellence is not a destination. It's a journey. That means you never <laughs> arrive to the end. It is something where you constantly keep working on yourself and improving yourself. Amen. We can say it is superior performance. And it comes by giving attention to details. Attention to details. You are as excellent as you are in your unsupervised areas of your life. It is not what <laughs> it is not what you do in front of everybody. It's what you do when ain't nobody around that produces a life of excellence. Then the Bible say he was faithful. He was faithful. Proverbs six and said many men are faithful in, on, in their own eyes, uh, 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 but a faithful man who can find them. And, and if you hear the emphasis on that script, it means faithfulness is going to almost become a rare thing in, in society. Proverbs 28 and 20 said, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. So the reward of being faithful is that God say blessings will be attracted to one's life. You will be blessed and you're going out and then you're coming in. Then the next thing we see that stands out in Daniel's life, remember we're talking about exceptional qualities. He was a godly, he had godliness or righteousness, godliness, godliness. Uh-huh. And then the next thing we see uh, that stands out is that he was self-controlled. Or disciplined. Now, all of these that I've named, oh, and, and the next one is, a, he certainly had the virtue of wisdom on his life. Wisdom. And Isaiah said, wisdom would be the stability of the time. Wisdom would, would, the wisdom of God would cause us to stand when others are falling. Uh, one of the, uh, definitions or one of the virtues we can get from wisdom it is uh application of knowledge it's not just knowing something it's the ability and the skills to do what you know 
That certainly don't exhaust wisdom, but that is an attribute of wisdom, the ability to do what you know. And then uh, all of these that we could say then would be uh, he had a strong prayer life, a strong prayer life. Because the Bible talked about him praying three times a day. And, and with his windows open, face toward Jerusalem. Then he had a strong word life. You say, how do you know he had a strong word life? You read he quoted from Jeremiah. When it was time for deliverance, he knew the time for the people to be delivered. He knew that 70 years had been fulfilled because he had studied the book of Jeremiah. So then if we say he had studied the book of Jeremiah, for sure he was a student of the laws of Moses. He studied the law, so he knew he had a strong word life. He had a strong word life. Then he had a strong conviction. He had strong conviction. That means he did not, there were things he would not compromise. Strong conviction. And last but certainly not least, he had a fear of the Lord. He had a fear of the Lord, which is not... Which is almost hard to find even now in the church, especially in the U.S. The fear of the Lord. But it will come back again. I say it will come back again. Hallelujah. If God really saved your life, you begin to fear him. Amen. Daniel had a fear of the Lord. Now, all of these I named, we could say then, they would be what I would call foundational qualities. All of them. Strong prayer life, strong word life, strong conviction, fear the Lord. All of these are foundational. And that's one of the principles of excellence. It means you work on the unseen part and it produces the results of the seen. You know, when God, uh, God is a God of excellence. Yeah, the, the Bible talk about the new Jerusalem. John says he saw it coming down out of heaven, a city adored by God. And when you hear all the details of that city, 1,500 miles one way, 1,500 miles another way, 1,500 miles up, you hear the details of it. It said, and the foundation was laid in gold and all manner of precious stone. The foundation, look, God put detail in his foundation which means the unseen part, yet he gave a lot of attention to it. And if God does that, we must do the same thing. Talk to me. These are the things we see come from the life of this exceptional prophet that we can study from years ago that, that, that uh, Ezekiel referenced, Jesus talked about him. Matter of fact, when Ezekiel talked about him one time to the prince, he said, you are more wiser than Daniel. So he give Daniel the wisdom on par with a supernatural entity. He had exceptional qualities. We want to look at the first quality that stands out in the opening of the book of Daniel because it's the first reference. How I many you know that can help guide us? Uh, the first reference of Daniel and his exceptional qualities was found in Daniel 1 verse 8. And it says out of the NIV, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself 
with the royal food and wine. And he asked the, the, the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't a normal request because not only could he lost his life hood, but the chef could have lost, the chief could, could have lost his life hood because he had a certain standard that uh, those young men had to appear before the king because they was in three-year training for, for royal service. And so Daniel said, wait a minute here. I know that this is mandatory, but I want to ask you, please don't allow me to have to do this. And the Bible is saying God gave him favor with that, with that chief. God moved upon it, which means God was in it because, you see, life is choice-driven. We live and die by the choices we make. So Daniel made a choice, and he was driven to make a choice. He could have ate the food and be defiled, but he had self-discipline and self-control. Even if it cost him something. Are you listening to me? He chose not to defile himself. So the first place we look at at Daniel was he was controlled. He was in control over himself. Come on, say that with me. He was in control over himself. You know, you can't be in control over others until you can control yourself. I think a lot of people, especially in the U.S., when we talk about leadership, one of the thoughts that come to our mind is, I'm going to be able to die, tell somebody else what to do. But according to Jesus, leadership is service. That we learn to live our life in servitude, to serve others, and by serving people, we are serving God. So it takes on uh, a lot of control and discipline to be a good leader, to be an effective leader. And so we see, number one, then Daniel had control over himself. And before we can control others, we must first control ourselves. It is the exercising of self-discipline. Now, man, I'm telling you, this this is where men rise and fall at. Because you can you can shine like a star for a moment, but if you don't have self discipline, you fall. And there's so many who have fallen left, right, and center in my nation. I don't know about the UK. I'm telling you about where I came from. Left, right, and center. Prominent names. Prominent people who have, were, who are influential and in leading the masses. But then you see behind the scene, they was not in self-discipline. They were not in control of their own life. You know, I didn't finish my lesson on uh, fear when I was talking on the first service in the sanctuary. But one of the things that Satan used to impose his will on men, especially believers, is number one, frustration, fatigue, fear, and false teaching or false doctrine. He, he imposes his will 
on people through those things. Frustration. Where you get at a place that you can't cope no more with the trials and the pressures and the problems of life. That suicide is at an all-time high in the U.S. now. People are taking their lives right, left, and center like you've never heard before. In a time when there's more technology, more things going on than ever before, at the same time, there are more people taking their own life than it ever been at a record number. And then it's not, I like to tell you, it's just people in the, what we would call the ghetto. No, we're talking about people who got to ride to fame, fortune, influential position, wealth. And yet they are taking their own life because it's something that hit them. And the devil tell every human this lie one time or another that you might as well quit, give up, is no hope. And they buy into that because they can't cope with the frustration that's coming upon them. He imposes his will through frustration. Then, of course, fear, which is primarily attack of the thought life. And yet the Bible tells us we can control how we think. That we can cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our mind is not a playground for the devil. We can make our thoughts come under subjection of the word of God. We don't have to do what our imagination show us. Or what some frustration or what some temptation throw out before us. We don't have to do it. The Bible says he's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless against that day. There's a day will come that we have to give an account to God for what we have done in his name and in this earth. And the Bible says he is able to keep us. We don't have to fall. The devil is a liar. And can present you faultless. The scripture also, he who have begun a good work in us will perfect and perform that which he has started. Jesus is a finisher. Anything he starts, he finishes. Talk to me. So he who started a good work will finish. Glory to God. Come on here. He will finish what he started. Yes, Lord. I felt the Holy Ghost. Yeah, come on. Praise his holy name. Come on. Praise his holy name. He who started with you is going to finish. Hey, Jesus. He's going to finish what he started. You will not be a casualty. You will not end up on the heap pile of of life. Hey, Jesus. You will run your course and you will finish this race. So we, we, we glean from Daniel here, and we see he had self-discipline. One of the things we want to say about self-discipline, it is personal training that develops self-control and character. You can write that down. Self-discipline is personal training that develops self-control and character. Resort, resulting in an orderly and efficient life. What is the fruit of it? It brings order to your life 
and efficiency. You become, you're not wasting time. And you're not going around in circles just doing the same thing over and over and over and not getting no headway. That's not efficiency. You, you make the best of your time. Amen. Praise God in whom all blessings flow. Which one? Huh? Okay. Self-discipline is personal training that develops self-control and character, resulting in an orderly and efficient life. Amen. I'll say it one more time for you. Self-discipline is personal training that develops self-control and character, resulting in an orderly and efficient life. Notice, notice that we say self-discipline. You know, there's more than one kind of discipline revealed in the Bible. Self is one, but then there's divine discipline. That means what you won't do, God will create an atmosphere and help you do what you're supposed to do. Come on, somebody. The Bible says, he whom God loved will he chasten. Then you look that up, it means he will divinely discipline you. That's because he loved you. Huh? Have you ever had God give you a spanking before? Lord, have mercy. <laughs> It'll make you behave yourself. First Corinthians, let's look at it, chapter 9. The Bible says, the Bible shows self-discipline, write this down, is what you practice in the power of the Holy Spirit. Self-discipline is what you practice in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. That, that's what set me and you apart. See, that's why we can't compare ourselves with people who don't live for God or don't know God. Neither can we allow them to set the barometer for where our life is going or what we're going to accomplish. And here's why. We have the God factor, and they don't. We have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us. Amen. Praise God. And how I many you know, how I many you know the Holy Spirit, one of the manifestations, we talk in tongues, but how I many you know there's a whole world behind the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and what he can do in our life. Amen. All right. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 here, let's look at something here that stands out. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. I'm reading out of the NIV uh, as well. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one get the prize? Everybody's running, but only one is going to be rewarded the prize for running. So Paul began by giving this illustration to us, and then he said, but only one get the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. And if you're going to run to get a prize, I promise you, you, will, you must exercise self-discipline. If you're going to be rewarded in life as a leader, you will be a disciplined man and a disciplined woman. Now, you know you have some enemies against your being in control of your life. And the Bible says they all come through the lust of this world. You know, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That is not of the Father but it's of the world. 
The Bible says this, the things of this, uh, of the enemies, the world's going to fade away. But he that do the will of God shall abide forever. Now, it didn't say it was going to always be easy or convenient to do God's will. But, but the reward will far outweigh temporal gratification or short-term enjoyment. Because the Bible said the pleasure of sin. So we're not a fool. Sin is fun. If it wasn't, so it wouldn't be so many in it. And it wouldn't have been a difficult place for us to come out of it. At least I had to wrestle to come out of sin. Amen. Because I was deep in it. What about you? Oh, you were. The Bible said all have sinned. Come on here. And come short of the glory of God. Amen. <laughs> we all came short to his standard. But we understand the Bible here goes on to tell us everyone. So he said, uh, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Not just training. What kind? If you're going to win, it will become strict training. In other words, strict discipline. Hallelujah. I'm working on something. I'm after something. I want more than what you what has been offered to me by this world. Glory to God. I want to please him who called me. So the Bible here says you go into strict training and they that do it gets a crown that will not last. Now, can't, what, an, what an allegory, what an analogy here. Paul said, look at what an athlete will do to his body to get the prize. And he said, and it's a temporal thing. It's going to fade away. And if he's willing to do all that to get something temporal, what should me and you be willing to do to get an eternal prize? That's the comparison. What, what rigorous, rigor, rigorous discipline we should work on ourselves if an athlete would go, go, go through all this just to get a trophy with silver or gold on it. Or sometime a, co- a gold medal or a coin. Talk to me, somebody. I want to let you. I want to let you observe something. You know, the Olympic champion, whoever it may be in the com- competition, when he or she wins an event, they are rewarded the gold medal or the silver medal or the bronze. But now, when the when the event comes back around, they got to go back to the same training camp. Now, what I want you to observe is that they don't have a special camp for the champion. Let me say that again to you. They don't have a special camp because you won the gold medal. You go back into the same basic training all new beginners are in. You know why? Because it was the basic fundamentals that made you a champ. So Daniel had a strong prayer life. Daniel had a strong word life. Daniel had self-control. Daniel had conviction. Daniel had the fear of the Lord. And those are the foundational principles that give us self-discipline as leaders. And you can't usurp it. I don't care what part of the globe you own. It will work the same way. Amen. Amen. Devils are devils everywhere on the planet. 
Temptation is temptation everywhere on the globe. Huh? The lust of the eye, the pride of life, it's the same global. That's why First uh, Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation, test, trial, taking you, but it's common to man. But God, who is faithful, will also make a way to escape it. So there's always a way out before you go in. In any trap, I believe, Apostle, one of the root problems when any leader fall is bitterness have got a hold of them somewhere in their life. Because the Bible talk about by this many are defiled. Something made them bitter and they didn't handle it. Amen. Can we lift our hand and thank the Lord just for a moment? Just for a moment. Just for a moment. Thank you, Father, for your goodness in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. All right. Let's continue on, please. All right. So we're seeing some exceptional things. Then Then why is discipline necessary? Why is discipline necessary? Why is it necessary? Because if you because if you fail here, management of ourselves, we will fail in everything else. Let me say that again to you. Why is discipline necessary? Because if you fail here, management of self, you will fail everywhere else. The principle is this. He is faithful over little, will be faithful over much. He was unfaithful over little. I mean, he was unfaithful over little, will be unfaithful over much. He is faithful over little, will be faithful over much. That's the principle, right? Amen. Now, now the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 2, a steward must be found faithful. A steward. What do you mean a steward? A manager. So whether we believe it or not, all, all leaderships, all leaders are managers. And the first revelation a manager have to get, you can manage everything and own nothing. I'll say it again. <laughs> The first revelation a manager have to get is that he can manage everything, but he don't own anything. You don't hear me. Well, let me give you a better illustration. In America, we have uh, people who will get what we call estates. And in those estates, they will put gates around them and fences around them and all type of nice decoration. And they will write on the, the front of the gate, the Smith Estate, the Johnson Estate, or whatever their last name would be. They will call the, the estate by their name. But the only thing about it, and, and in their mind, because the Bible say we they believe, Proverbs, some say, that they're the owner of it. <laughs> but the scripture tells us it is appointed on the man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. It is certainly that you brought nothing in this world. And it is certain that you're taking nothing with you. So if I can't bring nothing when I come in and I can't take nothing when I go out, then all through life I'm only a manager. 
Come on, give God some praise, somebody. Because they can't take those estates with them. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They can't take that mansion with them. Even when you put your name on it, you can't take it with you. Huh? Really, when you get that in you, it frees your heart up of covetous. The only way covetous can work, you think you can possess something you never can. Hallelujah. Let's look now, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 here. For we hear, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. We'll show, we're we'll even manager of ourselves. We don't own our own self. God allows you to manage his temple. Amen. Talk to me in here now. Talk to me, leaders. Amen. So there, so the scripture tells us in verse, verse uh, uh, 19, it said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from who? From God. Then that means God have lent this to you. Give me some help here. God lent this to you. That body you got right there, God lent that house to you. Huh? Let's go on here now. Say, you are you are not your own. Wow. You were bought at a price. Glory to God. It wasn't with corruptible things as silver and gold that you was purchased, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. I've been redeemed, and let the redeem of the Lord say so, whom the Lord had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Glory to God. And you're out to stay. You'll never go back into captivity, because whom the Son set free. Hey, Jesus is free indeed. It's a lie of the devil telling you you're his prisoner again. He can never own you because you're not your own. You've been paid for. You've been bought. Now, the steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord, and he delight in his ways. Come on, give me some help here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can I be honest with you? Do you know I didn't bring this lesson here? The Holy Spirit told me to teach this to you, what we're giving to you right now. I didn't bring this to England. God, and I got hundreds of lessons, but God gave me this for you. And a word in this season, how good it is. Come on, let's thank God. Because this is, this is what Apostle's saying. This is, this is impartation. This is going to take us for the journey. This is not hypo and excitement. It's empowerment for the course that we must follow as leaders. Amen. We are leaders under God. Thank you, dear Lord. Can we stand for a moment? Just give God some praise. Come on. Just for a moment. Give him some praise. Let's just give him some praise. Oh, we give you the glory, Lord, and we give you the honor, we give you the praise, we give you the glory, we give you the honor, 
we give you the praise. He who have begun a good work in us will perform. The glory of the Lord shall rise upon us. The glory of the Lord shall be seen. You're raising us to be end-time leaders. We are called for the kingdom for a time like this. You have infused us with your life. You have infused us with your presence. You have infused us with your word. The law of life that's in Christ Jesus have made us free from the law of sin and death. Hey, Lord. Karabasha. Korabeshi. Redabasa. Minerebosha. Korabashita. Lilabasata. Lushakalabaso. Reboshakalisa. Mandelebosha. Roshokodele besota. Zila rabashata. Jedebishatabasa. Jedebishataba. Rabasatelebosha. Lila basata basita. Melebosha. 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 Melebisa. Kurebasata. Ribashata boshe. Masete boshe. We have the mind of Christ that you may instruct us, Lord. You are telling us what to do. And we worship you. And we worship you. And we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Let's look now as we look at a dimension of self-discipline is essential for godliness. Self-discipline is essential for godliness. First Timothy 4. Let's look at verse 7 and 8 of that particular book. First Timothy 4. Yeah. Uh, self-discipline is essential for godliness. Or to godliness. Amen. It'll bring you to godliness. All right. First Timothy, 
And we're going to look at uh, verse 4, 7, and 8. You have it. Listen to what it says. It said at verse 7, having nothing to, having nothing to do with godly, godliness, myths, and old wives' fable, wives fable, tales, rather train yourself to be godly. Notice what it said. Train yourself to be godly. So that, that have to denote the fact that godliness is not automatic. Huh? Right? You wouldn't have to train yourself if it was automatic, right? For physical, verse 8, for physical training is of some virtue or value. But godliness has value for all things. I think the King James says it's profitable in all. So, the, in other words, to be godly pays in every arena of life. It don't just, listen to me, it don't just reward you in the spiritual dimension. It re- rewards you in every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. Amen. And it says, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. Now, now let me read on because this is some things that we added into this verse 9 this is a trustworthy saying that deserve full acceptance and for this we labor and strive that we put our hope in the living god who is the savior of all men especially of those who believe who believe now listen to what he says to this is the inspiration of the Holy spirit command and teach these things this is for the this is this is the, the epistles of the church. This is where we live at. He said, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He said, But set an example for the believer. What would it do? Set an example for the believer. So that means as leaders, somebody always watching you. Somebody always got their eyes on you. Yeah, I don't want nobody looking at me too late. They looking. Without your permission, they looking. Give me some help here. And listen to what he tells them. He said, be an example for the believers in speech, how you talk. I mean, no, then that means you have to have discipline over your mouth. Come on, you can't say anything. Give me some help now. Life and death is where? And the power of the tongue. Thereby we can curse men, thereby we can bless. Amen. He said, in life, in love. In faith and in what else? Purity. Purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scriptures, to preaching and to teaching. He said, devote yourself to public reading of the scriptures. While all of these things foster more godliness on the believer. Amen. It's part of your regiment of discipline. It's part of the empowerment, the, the reading of the scriptures, preaching and teaching. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And I know this is so because when you studied the life of Daniel, you see they were very astute. They, 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 were, they, were, they were trained in, in all kind of arts and they studied science and they were readers. They read things. To, they were informed. They were knowledgeable. 
Amen. They gave themselves to it. Uh, the, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all those, and, and, and Daniel. And you see in each arena, under Nebuchadnezzar, under Cyrus, under Darius, they kept being promoted against all odds. <laughs> Every kind of sabotage was thrown against them. Every kind of plot of the devil was thrown against them. Why? Because when you set your life to practice excellence, it spars jealousy and persecution. Amen. I'm telling you, I don't think everybody's going to celebrate because I say I'm disciplining myself more to be more of an excellent woman and an excellent man. Everybody ain't going to celebrate that. They're not. Because when you decide to be excellent, you're saying I'm no longer going to be average in what I'm doing. I'm choosing to be exceptional. That don't mean better than, does it? That don't mean you're going to be better than somebody else. That's the lie that money tells you, that, you know, money make people believe. That's one of the deceptions of it. Because I have more of it, I'm better than you. Money just simply means you have more resources to do things that I can't do sometimes. But that don't make anybody better than somebody because they got more money, does it? Does it? Give me some help here. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. I know some folks, well, they think they're better than, come on, than anybody. Uh, than the ground they walk on is better because they are wealthy or rich. But it's not so. The rich man says that his fortified city is his protection. But he's deceived. Bandits can come behind your wall. Talk to me somebody. <laughs> uh, it's the blessings of the Lord that make you rich. And and no sorrow. I need blessings. What about you? I need increase. And I need protection. That come from the most high. Come on, somebody. All right. I got one more strip. I went over my time. Okay. Okay. Okay, sir. Okay, sir. All right. Now. Then we want to look at one more thing here. This self-discipline is required because it's required to overcome the enemies that wars against our destiny. That wars against our destiny. How many know God have already predetermined a destiny for you before you came on the planet? But you have enemies against it. Amen. I'm telling you, I spent years on the street doing all kind of crazy stuff because <laughs> somebody laughed at that because I was blind by sin. And it was also Satan trying to hijack the destiny that God had planned for my life. Come on, some of you don't hear my testimony. I was a drug dealer in, 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 in the U.S. and God took me off the streets. Amen. I'm serious. I don't mind telling you the truth. You know, when God clean your life up, he makes you transparent. You don't have nothing to hide. I don't have nothing to hide. You would have never known that except I told you that. That's how much the blood talk, can clean talk, you. Talk, tell, tell, tell them. Tell them. Tell them your testimony. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously. I was, I was a drug dealer for years. Amen. Living in the bad world and the underworld. You see? And what you don't know, I ain't never been to a Bible school. 
God took me off the street, began cleaning my life up, and began telling me he would bring men in my life who would teach me the way that I should go. That's been my Bible school. Amen. I'm not proud of it, but that's everybody come from somewhere. All I know, he said, is let your light shine now so that men will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Just like you glorified the devil. Now you got to glorify me, said the Lord. Amen. Praise God. But God can change us and transform us. And he used me now to change other men that live that way. All over the place. Amen. Amen. I had one of the men who was living like that came in a service I was in with guns to shoot me. And the next thing they know had about three or four men with them. All of them was on the floor by the power of God knocking them out. And when they come up, one, the main guy came up praying in tongues, talking, <laughs> talking in the Holy Ghost. Amen. He ended up doing 20 years in the federal penitentiary, but now he's one of the most powerful preachers you'll ever meet in your life. I introduced him to Apostle when he came to, when Apostle came to the state the last time. He's changing lives all over the globe now, writing books and everything. And he called me his spiritual father because the Lord used me to change him. Come on. Come on, somebody. And that one man was controlling thousands of people's lives through corruption. Come on. If it's work, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. And when it's real, it works everywhere. To God be the glory. All right, let me finish this. Number one, Satan. Number one, Satan, right? That's one of your enemies. But he's defeated. Number two, worldliness. First John two sixteen and 17. Number three, the flesh. Number four, four carnality. What is carnality? It is when a mind is ruled by the flesh rather than by the spirit. That's what makes you carnal. Amen. I don't mean you're a bad person. It means your mind is not being controlled by the life of the spirit that's on the inside of you. Amen. Praise Huh? I'll say it one more time. Number one, Satan. Number two, worldliness. We're talking about the systems of the world because, you know, the Bible says we're in the world but not of the world. But Paul says we have to go back to the world to reach others, right? We're just not a part of the order of the world anymore. We don't come on this government and the function on these systems. Okay, so number two, the worldliness. Number three, the flesh. Number four, carnality. And that is the, the, the mind that is ruled by the flesh we have the scripture from first john 2 16 and 17 is that right all right now last but certainly not least for our lesson here second peter 1 verses 5 second peter 1 verses 5 through 10 this really stood out to me and listen to what it says here because i saw all of these working in the life of daniel The Bible said at verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, 
and to knowledge, self-control. See, to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. Uh, that's endurance or patience, right? And to patience or perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, uh, love. For if you possess these qualities, we talk about exceptional qualities. If you possess these qualities, increased measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Come on, praise God, somebody. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sin. That's why I don't have a mind telling you. <laughs> I've been clean. <laughs> Therefore, my brother, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. Come on, you ought to praise God. You will never fall. Hallelujah to God be the glory. Well, my session is in, but we certainly will be ready to follow up with some of these in our next ones. Put your hands together as apostle come to us. Thank God for the servant of the Lord. Would you like to be part of a vibrant church in the midst of beautiful, awe-inspiring surroundings? Christ Faith Tabernacle at the CFT Cathedral Woolwich is now open. This is interesting. Were you blessed at all? You know, there are a lot of common things between Doc and I. And one of it is that we never went to any Bible college. I never went to any Bible college. But when I teach, professors of theology in Oxford contact me to dialogue. Oxford University professors in theology. Because the Holy Spirit is the cradle of knowledge that brought the knowledge that was codified to be called theological studies. And the God that worked in the dispensation of the codification when the church needed to put knowledge together so that others can learn. And so the Spirit of God came upon some individuals who were academicians. Like the man who came with the philosophy of the Trinity God. He's an African man from Libya. But he was a lawyer. He's the one who came up with the fact that God is three in one. And God used the academic knowledge to codify the scriptures so that a layman can understand it because in those days there is classism you are either an aristocrat or you are a layman and laymen don't read they are not educated and this is how bible college started but if we know that therefore if the lord calls us and we commit to him the same spirit is still upon the earth for those who will commit themselves to learn knowledge all these people who came up with those fundamentals, they came up by locking themselves up and reading the Bible, studying the Bible, wanting to know more about God. 
and it is because you know out of their you know um, uh, yeah, secret places some of them will exclude themselves for days for months don't appear to anybody and keep on studying keep on inquiring like Daniel then knowledge was given we want to thank God for what you have heard uh, I will just compensate for the time to 12 so that we will go and break at the 12 as I think our, our, our program said we're going to break at 12 isn't it 11.45. Okay, 11.45 was the break time. So we'll just go to 12 and then we go. Now, I wanted to give you hints on, on conflict resolution in the church. You will just write very fast. Tomorrow is when I will really teach you. And I wanted to also talk to you about the duties of a pastor, which we talk more. Conflict resolution. Well, you understand the fact that the church of God is a holy church, isn't it? How could conflict come into holiness? You expect that everybody you meet in the church are good people, isn't it? But in the reality, it's not always so. But let me say this to you. Everybody who came to church came originally with the heart to know God. But along the way, some are contaminated by the devil. And we understand the fact that the reason is, like from the first principle, God created the earth and put Adam and Eve there. And suddenly, Satan showed up in the garden. Satan always shows up in whatever God has created to oppose it, to try to destroy it. But from the lectures you have had, I'm so much glad for what um, Doc is teaching you. Those of us that are intact with God and working with God and experiencing God, if you look at what it taught you, those of you who have been here with me for a while, you, you know I teach you all these things? Because these things are our life to be able to reach where we are. We don't have any other thing than what we are teaching you. I remember Apostle Tuff said yesterday that you have to do what you teach. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the former book of Theophilus, I started to speak about what, I, what Jesus began to do and to teach. So a minister of God or a child of God, before you can open your mouth to teach, you must do first. And people learn faster <coughs> from what you do than what you teach. They learn faster from what you do than what you teach. Where you see a thriving church and many people are going for what the leader says is because they see the leader doing what he says. They have seen that life in the leader and what they see in the leader is what they do. But you know, thank you. Why should conflict or what is conflict? Where is conflict from? Conflict will arise whenever a good thing is achieved. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, it says, Because a great door, Paul was the one speaking, for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Expect opposition whenever doors are open. You know, Doc finished his statement by telling you that whenever you set your heart to be excellent, and to follow the rules of the scripture strictly. From that moment, you have a position. 
Anybody who wants to live as the devil wants does not have much opposition. You can only have advice. But the moment God opened doors for you, God spoke about a great thing for your future, and you began to make a step towards it, and God, you know, you are working in God, and you, you know, doors are open, it's better position. Now, how does opposition or conflict arise in church? We know that godliness triggers opposition, faithfulness triggers opposition, increase in God triggers opposition. To be excellent will be challenged. But how does this opposition come? Look at the book of Jude. Jude chapter 4 verse Jude verse 4. That is Jude, Jude 1 chapter verse 4. It says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. The, the, the source of rebellion and conflict in church come from some certain men. And these certain men, the book of Jude tells us, they are part of the church. He used the word, they slipped in among you. You will see a, a fellowship that everybody is happy, they enjoy themselves, they are following the leadership, and anything the leadership says, they do, they love one another, things are going smoothly and fine. Suddenly, the boat will begin to shake. And at the beginning of it, the pastor may not be able to put his finger on what is going on here. It is because some certain men have slipped in. There could be new people who slipped in. There could be old people who have bad association. Okay. It says some certain men have slipped in. Now, what are the qualities of this man? It says they are godless men. We'll look at what constitutes godless men. The first thing it says, they are godless men who, one, change the grace of God into license for immorality. I was in Nigeria this uh, January, and I was told by one of the ministers that there is a new doctrine that is moving from Asia or so to Nigeria. is on the doctrine of grace. And this doctrine says that a Christian doesn't have to do anything at all. Jesus has done everything for you. It looks sensible, isn't it? Really, he had done everything for us, but he expects us to live by what he has done. Yes, but this doctrine of grace says that you don't have to make any effort. God is the one doing everything in me. He's the one who is making me righteous. He's the one who works me righteously. But the Bible said again and again, make every effort. So that doctrine of grace, it ends up by helping you to, to believe that anything you do is God. So you can sleep around. It doesn't matter. You can commit sexual immorality. It doesn't matter. That is what the grace is saying. And a good, yeah, a good number of folks who uh, Doc was speaking about in the U.S. who fell. When I, when I went into researches about them, that is the doctrine that caused them to fall. There are some of them now who are falling, who are still public, you know, uh, you know um, um, gathering crowd. But look at their doctrine. That is the doctrine. They don't, they don't preach about sin. They only preach about wellness. Okay? Yeah. Not godliness anymore. Everyday living. Not everyday living in God. But let me say this to you, therefore. These are the people that the Bible says the enemy uses. They are godless. They change the grace of God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, 
uh, are only sovereign and Lord. Now, denial of Christ does not mean verbal denial. Anybody who teaches people to do things that Jesus said they should not do has denied Christ. Anyone who teaches things according to the flesh, not in accordance with the spirit, has denied Christ, as well as those who verbally deny Christ. Now, very quickly, because the time is short. So we get here that these men who devil use, number one is that they are godless. All right? Number two, if so, if they are godless, they are completely carnal, isn't it? Number two is that they are functioning, they will exploit grace to the extent of nullifying righteousness. Now, if you look at the next verse, I love this. Verse 16. It says, these men are grumblers. They are godless. They water down grace so that people can sin. People can walk in ungodliness and still believe that the grace covers it. Then, after some time, you see them grumble. Why would they grumble? They will grumble because the preaching on the pulpit is different from their sermon. They will grumble because, you know... (laughs) There are some things I don't have time to share with you. <laughs> they will grumble because somebody, when, when, you know, in a church, when you want to do ordination as a minister, sometimes somebody who looks very, very zealous and, and very, very committed in look, you bypass him and on this somebody who doesn't look like that. Okay? And you yourself will say after all, but he didn't come to my mind. It's God who didn't bring him to your mind. Because those guys who are godless are so charismatic. A man sees the face, but God sees the heart. And then after some time, they will go about and tell people that the reason why he ordained them is to to hold them bound. Why? Because they were not ordained. Sometimes you want to appoint leader over a group. You appoint somebody who they did not expect. They feel they are the one you should, ordain, you should appoint. But by the Spirit of God, you appoint somebody who is qualified. Then they start to grumble. They will grumble over everything. If you rebuke them, they will grumble. If you correct them, they will grumble. Alright? Now let me tell you, let me help you understand what that leads into. They are grumblers and false finders. Okay? They follow their own evil desire. They boast about themselves and flatter others to their own advantage. You can imagine somebody who is not a, a leader in church, or even if he's a leader who is not, uh, you know, one of the pastors, telling people how God called him. Somebody has come before me before because that person was not ordained. I didn't ordain the person to anything, even to be a deacon. And he came to me and was telling me how God, Jesus, appeared to him and how the Lord, the Lord has called him. And I told him that all these years that you have been here, I have not seen the fruit of the call. <laughs> People that God called, they come here every Saturday, they are on the street evangelizing. That is how I know they are called. When they call for intercessory meeting, they are the one there. Even they will call night vigil to pray for a vigil without me telling them to do so. They will say to me that, Apostle, God is telling us to hold vigil. We know we have the main vigil, we are there, but we want to hold another vigil. 
Because God is putting this in her heart. Those are the people called. But these guys will come and tell you how God appeared to them, how they are called. It's all lies. Do nothing in the church. But the fact is that the fruit of calling is somebody from his cradle, from the beginning of call. He will have a desire to work for the Lord. Anytime he's there, anywhere that duty goes there. Those who are called don't pick and choose services, they come. So when the guy told me that how much God called him, I told him that when God called Paul, he said he did not go to the super apostles. What are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, if God has called you, when God called me, I didn't go to anybody, but this is the fruit of my call. Go and do something according to your call. Then when he says that, we come and come to come and sit. But for this house, you are not called. (laughs) Are we together? These folks are grumblers. They follow their own evil desire. They are boastful. They flatter others to their own advantage. That is the last part of it. All the bad attitudes that they have is to convert others to follow them. You know, some, some may have uh, come into your church and they believe that they can play this game and they can convince some people and take them away and start a church. And I guarantee you, such church dies. He never leaves, I tell you. And I will show you because the Bible says so. Someone pull out uh, carried members of another church to go inside the church. Don't worry. Everybody that pulled out with them, their potential break away. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. He will raise them, he will depend on them, and they will do the same thing to him. And they are the people who give back to a glad group of believers who will never be successful in anything because they disappointed the one who raised them. Those they took will disappoint them. Those that those people too will raise will disappoint them. And, <laughs> and you continue to have a protracted, frustrated human beings on the face of the earth. Because you see, that is, something about God is this. God cannot change what he has spoken. He cannot and he doesn't change it. And any member who go under them is a victim. You have many of them. But let me say this to you. Let's see verse 17. It says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord, uh, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ were told. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desire. So now, ministers, listen to me. These people will exist in the churches. Be warned. Then he went on further to say, these are men who divide you, verse 19, who follow mere natural instinct and do not live, do not have the Spirit. They've lost the Holy Spirit. Now, don't worry about verse 20 yet. Now, dealing with opposition, what should, how should you react when you are stabbed? When somebody takes, let's say somebody you put as your assistant and them you don't know. He has been visiting the members in his own name, not in your own name. And he has been doing everything, cajoling them, giving them 
rice and giving them food. Yeah, it has happened in London. And giving them all the things they were so much called care only because he thought he would convince them and he would go and start a church with them. And eventually you come to church one day and you discover that people who are loyal to you are now rebellious. People who you trust and you are planning for good for their life, they start to talk against you and all stuff like that. What ought you do? That's what I want to show you now. Dealing with opposition. If we look at the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 12, we'll do that very quick. Numbers 12. This opposition here is so interesting because those who oppose Moses are the nearest to him who he had favors mostly. His brother, senior brother, and his senior sister. He had appointed his senior brother as a priest. He had ordained his senior sister as a prophet. Okay. Look what he says there. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his cushioned wife. For he had married a Cushite. Okay? Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord had this. Now Moses was a very humble man. Who humbled, who, who more humbled than anyone else on the face of the earth. What does that tell you and I? Moses did not say a word. You know, when your own blood sister and your blood brother now speak against you, I mean, what else? And they are in the same church with you. And you have appointed them as leaders after you. Okay? After Moses is the priest. With Moses is the prophet. Why did they have conflict with him? Because of his wife. So his brother and his sister did not understand that the wife of Moses is superior to them when it comes to the life of Moses. Whereas they keep their own husband. Miriam kept her husband as superior. And Aaron kept his wife as superior. But they want Moses to subjugate his wife so that they would take the, wife, the, place, of, the, the place of Moses' wife. If Moses was foolish, he would do that and God would destroy him. I we together now. Now look at what he said. If they had a quarrel with the wife of Moses, is it ideal to speak against Moses? Why don't they direct their quarrel to the wife? The fact is that they, they have come to a place, like Jude said, where they envied the position of Moses. Okay? Then they used the, the, the situation of the wife to attack Moses. But you know something? Moses shut his mouth up. Now listen what happened. At once, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the, t- come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in vision. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of Moses, my servant. 
um, uh, my servant, um, true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I want to underline the word faithful in all my households. That is one of the remedy against opposition. That is why we lift up your hand when you oppose. If you are unfaithful in anything of God, opposition will destroy you too. But for you to travail and prevail against opposition, you must be faultless. Okay? All the household. Then verse 8 says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Look at this. There stood Miriam leprous, like snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she was leprous. This tells you that the major perpetrator is Miriam. And Aaron was an accomplice. Are we together now? And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, how did he not recognize it was his Lord? He was his Lord before. He knew it, but he decided to. Now look at what happened. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant. Coming from his mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. Can we look at Moses' response? So Moses cried out to, to the Lord, Oh God, please what? Heal her. That is a quality you must have against those who oppose you. But let me show you something about God. Sometimes when we pray for mercy, when somebody has contravened the law of God and God is punishing him, your prayer will not stop the punishment. It can cut the time shorter. God will still punish that person to show people that he is God and he is the God of his word. So Miriam was confined outside the camp. Okay, now, let me read that verse 14, finish. Finish the five verse 14. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father has spat in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. We're going to leave this now. So what I'm saying to you is that those who oppose you, if you can stand in your calling, and don't open your mouth to speak against them. God will punish them. God will punish them that you will see. They will come back to you. But when God punishes them, if you pray for them, God will, will shorten the time of the affliction. They will spend their seven days. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, uh, Doug said that the, the child the father loves, he won't. So that is seven days chastisement. That is the reason why you must teach your child never be involved in rebellion. It opens the door for Satan to afflict a child of God. To the place where God has to allow it to happen. Because God will not contravene his word. Now go back and we'll finish the rest on dealing with opposition. Now, dealing with opposition, we looked at uh, the life of Moses and Aaron. Let's go back to the book of Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25. It says those who oppose him, he must gently what? Instruct in the hope that God will what? Grant them repentance. Leading them to what? A knowledge of truth. Don't be angry when you are opposed. Don't curse those who oppose you. Don't curse them. Because already for opposing you, they have fallen into the fire line of God, which they must be punished by God. And if God is going to punish somebody, you know that the only thing you can do for that person is to beg God for mercy. And instruct them. This is interesting. But you know sometimes when they, when they disappoint you like that, it's very, very terrible. It's not easy for, for the heart of man that is bleeding to hear what I'm saying. That you should bless them. But Jesus, Jesus said you should bless your enemies. Come on now. So when, when they were opposing you, did God see them? Come on now. Did God see them? So if God didn't stop it then, why? Because God wanted it to happen. So that you can learn from it. And let me say this to you. Every opposition against the righteous does not slow him down. Does not hinder him. From reaching where God is sending him. It is those who oppose that will be taken out. But the church continues. That's what it has ever been. Now listen to this one. It says. Those who oppose you. Gently instruct them in hope that God will grant them. Repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they that will come. To her senses, uh, they, they that will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the evil, who was taking them captive to do to do his will. Now we understand from that verse that therefore those who oppose are under the trap of Satan, isn't it? That is what you saw there. Anybody who opposes your authority is under the trap of Satan. Now write this down. Opposition never go too far. It has a season and it has expiry dates. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 8 and 9. Just as James and Jambas opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind who are f- as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. Okay? But they will not get too far, very far. Because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone shortly. So you, this is the, what I've just read now is Second Timothy, chapter three, verse eight and nine. But what about your members? When people oppose and they leave the church, what should be taught to the uh, members who are faithful? <coughs> First Corinthians five eleven. But now I'm writing you. That you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler. With such, do not eat. You must teach your members that if you, if you have fellowship with a person under the judgment of God, you will come under judgment. Satan will hinder anyone who have fellowship with them. What is the position of your members? Whenever they see them, hello, how are you? If they speak, they should tell them straight away, repent from that opposition you have done. So that they will save their head from judgment of God. Rather than somebody who had gone, who had rebelled, now he's having a program and now invited you to come and celebrate with him. What are you celebrating with the ungodly? The Bible says, 
Blessed is he who works on the counsel of the ungodly. And anytime those people do that, it's an opportunity for the members to tell them again. Have you repented of your position? As far as the Bible is concerned, you are an ungodly man, I cannot associate with you. They must confront them with the scripture all the time because that is the only thing that can redeem their soul. But if they don't do that and they just go and celebrate with those people, they have decamped from God, okay, to show a seal of approval to a rebellion. Therefore, they are David in the armor of Saul. Goliath will slay them. Many Christians have been afflicted in churches because of this. Because they respect man to dishonor God. I will together now. Finally, overcoming opposition, Titus chapter 2, 7 to 8. That is to you ministers. Things you can do, opposition cannot overcome you. It says in everything, verse 7, chapter 2, Titus 7, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned because those who oppose always look for something to condemn you. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. That is verse 8. Titus 2, 7 and 8. You know, because Satan always prays on something you are not doing right. And because Satan is the one working over the, those who oppose authority. It is not by their own very will. They have fallen a victim of the devil. And Satan will always look for something that you are doing wrong. And so Paul said to, to Titus, this is the way. Look at Timothy, 1 Timothy 2. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. <clears throat> what you must do to overcome opposition. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Have confidence in yourself. But set an example for the believers in speech. What you say, how you say it. In life, <clears throat> your lifestyle. In love, your action. And in faith and in purity. A minister must be an example. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading and of the scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders lay hands on you. Before we go to 15, let me say this. Why is Paul talking about devotion to, your, to the teaching, to the word of God and stuff? Sometimes when people are disappointed, they take it to personal that they can't preach the right sermon anymore. All their messages will be against rebellion. No, you should teach them about rebellion before rebellion occurs. Are we together now? You must never answer rebellion on your pulpit. Okay? You only need to act. Keep on loving the people. Keep on teaching the people the word of God. Characters of holiness. But rebellion, leave it alone. Rebellion should be taught to the members before it occurs, not when it's happening. It should be taught after everything has quieted down. So that people know the truth before, it's, before the devil strikes them. Don't allow that to hinder your confidence in yourself 
or your knowledge of the word and your delivery of the word of God. Don't let it pain you. That's just the fact. Fifteen, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself holy to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and who? Your hearers. Are we together? You know, the greatest slap on the cheek of Satan is to ignore him. I'll tell you. What he calls, what he magnifies, you just water it down. That you will see when, when, by the grace of God, as many of you as possible, we are going to go after the convention from the month of July. We, I'll be taking you to where men dread to go. Where they really worship Satan. Where you see Satan face to face and demons roar. Okay? One of the things that overcomes those areas is that what they call sacred, you sit over it. What they call poisonous, you take it and drink it. What they call death, you sleep in it. When you ignore what Satan is saying, it gives Satan the greatest headache. So also, when they stab your back, go as if nothing happened. Don't give it an attention. If you do, you will suffer. Finally, the book of Jude. If you look at Jude when he was teaching about those who were sleeping and they will cause problem and all stuff. In verse 20 he says, But you, dear friend, build yourself up in what? Your most holy faith. Pray in the what? Holy Ghost. Not when trouble is, but normally. Keep yourself in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom you, you, you to, to um, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who what doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy. Mixed with what fear. Hating even the clothing stained with corrupt flesh. And you know all this was given by Jude to a church that has been invaded by godly, godless men. That is your reaction. If you keep this in your heart, let me say something to you. One of the ingredients that make uh, calling sweet is opposition. It brings the best out of you. One of the things that God will permit, even sometimes when you are, you are getting too slack, God will stir up opposition by himself. <laughs> so that you can wake up and do what you ought to do. If you are not praying regularly, the best thing for God to do is to just get people to oppose you. <laughs> so that you can start to, to pray back. This is how you must see opposition. Do not see the man as your enemy. Go beyond the veil. God bless you. Shall we just stand up together, please? Where is uh, Pastor Fumi? Well, we're going to go to a break. I think uh, I've been coming to know the rule of thumb. Uh, those who are London people, you can go around on the streets and get something for yourself within 30 minutes. Those of you who are the guests invited, they have some uh, nibbles for you over there. They won't give you heavy things so that you won't sleep in the lab.
Would you like to be part of a vibrant church in the midst of beautiful, awe-inspiring surroundings? Christ Faith Tabernacle at the CFT Cathedral Woolwich is now open for all. Apostle Alfred Williams, apostolic leader to churches around the globe, warmly invites you to come and be part of this incredible move of God. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., 186 Power Street, Woolwich, London. In our beautiful, recently refurbished cathedral, we are seeing miracles happen, people healed, needs are met, lives are transformed. The Word of God is preached with power through Apostle Alfred Williams. I wanted to know this, that there is a God in heaven who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and by Him, anyone who believes in Him, carry the very authority of God which, with which He created the heavens and the earth. Jesus said, freely you receive and freely give. I want to say this to you. Stop going around to people. Kneel down where you are. Talk to the God who created the heavens and the earth in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and you will receive your miracle now. And be sure not to miss our two life-changing events. Overcomers Night Vigil. Hear the voice of God. Receive life-changing teaching. Be lifted through dynamic worship. Become an overcomer on the last Friday of every month at 7pm. And also come and celebrate with us at our exciting monthly victory nights. Receive your breakthrough. Be empowered to win. Come and claim your victory on the first, second and third day of every month. Whatever age, nationality or background you are from, there is something very special for you at the Christ Faith Tabernacle Cathedral Woolwich. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., 186 Power Street, Woolwich, London, SE18 6NL.